you have found your way back to us once again here at the Rock Paper Bitcoin Podcast. Hello, friends. It's me, Business Cat. Welcome back. I'm so, so happy to have you with us. In this episode, Fundamentals and I talk about the great financial crisis. We talk about abstracting the real world away, and uh, we talk about how all the world's a stage and we're all just actors in it. If you like our content and would like to support the show, listen to it using any podcasting 2.0 enabled application and stream us stats while you listen. You can also leave us comments using the Boostergram feature. Also, if you're a Bitcoin miner and you'd like to support us, you're feeling generous, you can contribute a bit of your hash power to us using any Lincoin stratum address with our show's username, Rock Paper Bitcoin. I'll put the connection details in the show notes. Finally, dear listener, thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to us that you're here. Let's get into it. My uh, son is due any day. My wife is very pregnant right now, and it's like every morning is, is like, is today the day? Yes. So today might, so, so yeah, listeners, if uh, this podcast is, is short, it's because I had to run, because we're going to the, the delivery room. Did it happen yet? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't happen quite yet, but it's, uh, it, so my daughter was born, what, two years ago? She's a little bit over two. So it's like, it was fun for me because, it's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm a Bitcoiner. What was the block height at her, at her birth? It's like, mm. uh, your kids are a little bit too old for that. So it's like, I, I, there, an interesting new twist no on like baby showers and such. There was no the block height was zero. Uh, my my youngest daughter was born ten days before the Genesis block, so we were we. I got my kids in right before uh, there was a Bitcoin. You know how some people like to uh, like oh I went through X Y or Z, so like new people they always have to go through X Y or Z. So it's like <laughs> I wonder if for Bitcoiners be like man I man, back in my day it's like the Genesis like we didn't even have the Bitcoin block the Bitcoin network yet. It's like at some point like the, we are going to be the crotchety old people. Who were born? Okay, we Grandpa. Yeah, we we all know that you were born before the Genesis block. We had financial crises with no hope. Yeah, that's yeah. financial crisis with the government trying to twist wrenches and knobs and push buttons to lessen the impact. It was weird going to the hospital like every day and having nothing to talk about other than how fucked up the financial crisis was. That's you know pretty much what that time was. I bet your me. wife really enjoyed you listening to the <laughs> you talking about the financial. Was she was she also interested in it? Or or was just no, like but God, also, my husband's like, talking about it again. She didn't care. She was in bed, in bed rest for like 3 weeks. She was confined to her bed and um the truth is I was because of the financial crisis, I was working like 90 hours a week and most of the time I was in the hospital, I was taking calls to explain what the fuck was going on um what was how, so, how how far into your career were you like what was your level in the company at that point um let's so i was in 2008 i was in year 12 of my career okay so, so you weren't and, you weren't like the staff on the floor you were already kind of like no above. but i was so okay. i was like responsible for a hedging operation and reporting on reporting on numbers and impacts that no one had ever come close to seeing before. So this is interesting. We, we had not, I had not anticipated talking about the great financial, uh, great financial crisis, but it's like, yeah. since we're here. So did you, I assume at the time you were not yet initiated into like uh, the Austrian school of economics and realizing like the house of cards that you were invested in. It's like, what was not that? What was that like? It living was weird. through that, Not realizing actually what was happening. 
it was weird. And my company um, was took a, had a massive bailout, like the kind of bailout that it cost them th- like three board seats and cost them to, uh, my company was ING and they had to get, oh, I remember that company. To, they were forced to separate their insurance. I remember up, seeing from commercials for, for ING and not understanding what the hell they were about. Yeah. I mean, you know, so it was really weird, I'll just say. I mean, I was like, you know, take somebody who you guys all know how I think and how I view the world. In 2008, I did not know what was happening. Um, I knew that everyone expected this to happen for a long time, and it finally kind of was coming. But um, most people that I associated with to this day view Ben Bernanke as the greatest guy to ever live because he saved everyone's job in the quant finance industry. (laughs) Um, And so that was really, that was probably the most indoctrinated I think I ever got was as a, you know, as a quant who lived in markets that way, you know, Bernanke. Uh, So at the time, so you were thinking, Oh, Ben Bernanke saved us, not, Oh, he kicked the can down the road 15, 20 years. Well, most people, I definitely look, Everybody was, everybody knew, we'll just say knew, quote unquote, right? The way anyone knows anything, which is like, we really didn't. But logically, we were, we surmised that there should have been some real massive inflation that was going to come from a, well, so the bailout itself, like the TARP, the TARP program, I'll say we, everyone in markets viewed it as a good deal for the government, even though, uh, you know, nobody likes socializing losses, but they kind of knew these trouble assets would eventually, if, you know, if somebody could back them and not have to sell them that in a few years. And I think the truth of that did pan out where they did end up making the government made a lot of money off of that program. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a good trade. You know, there's a lot of good trades. If there's no, there's no risk of ruin, (laughs) you know, if you can hold long enough, you yeah, know th- something, right? See, what, what Keynes, John Maynard Keynes, what he, the one thing I'll say he got right was a quote, call, the quote that says, the markets can stay irrational longer for longer than you can stay solvent. So everybody knows like what the right trades are. Everybody knows generally what the right, um, you know, what a good profit and loss profile is. What they don't know is whether or not they're going to go broke waiting for that day to come. Much mm-hmm. like what we, much like how Bitcoiners are, right? We know, we know NGU. It's just if you don't play your cards right, and we could get into this later about how there's there are vultures in the world that want you to think that they know how to help you manage this shit. But like, if you don't play your cards right, truth is you will get liquidated, and you know the markets can stay irras- irrational. The markets are irrational today because they think fiat is worth way more than it is and they think bitcoin is worth way less than it is and the markets can stay irrational for longer than you can stay solvent uh, back in 2008 the tarp program you know wasn't just a bailout right it really was i mean it's probably equivalent to the btfp that they put in after silicon valley bank right? is it okay yeah whereas they but but more directly they decided to buy these assets and the, the thing that like historic why it's historical historically significant it was because it was a state change for the fed the fed was never they never had this stuff in their balance sheet before and so you know the subsequent what nobody talked about 
nobody knew to talk about. If I was involved in, if I was a gold bug, maybe people were talking about it hard there. But like nobody in my industry was saying, oh my God, this is going to set the stage for Fed socialization. You know, people never talked about LTCM in my circles as a socialized loss or anything like that. Like I never heard, I knew all about LTCM. Guys, long-term capital management. This is, um, you know, 1998. These uh, PhDs who invented <laughs> Black Scholes, uh, Black and Scholes, and others started this hedge fund, and they ended up getting, um, you know, they they had they ran into the Russian ruble crisis, had a massive liquidity issue, and it was really kind of the kind of the first of the big socialized losses. You know, you guys, there's a. Um, Maybe I'll throw it in the show notes if I, I'll go dig it up. There's a really good, uh, there's a really good podcast. I think it was a Swan Signal that uh, Kaiser and Foss were, they were both around in that time and had a good, pretty good. Con- it's a pretty good lesson on LTCM, but nobody. So in our circles, nobody talked about that as oh no, you know this is horrible. We just basically socialized all these losses and are um, you know incentivizing banks to be uh, risk assholes. Right, or have incentivizing banks now to take to basically take on as much risk as they want, right? Uh, Q, you know, TARP and then QE put that on total steroids. Like it was a total state change, where now the Fed was actually going to be a buyer of assets and have these assets on their balance sheet. I know right. that Marty so, Bent was involved in finance during he, he was brand new into the stage in two thousand eight, and the TARP program he talks about is one of the things that was like thinking about like, okay, what radicalized me watching the TARP bailouts was something that rad- radicalized him and realizing just how unfair the system was and in such a fundamental way. Yeah. Uh, and that's like good for Marty, you know, in places where I worked, the attitude was like, these people are too dumb to realize that this is actually a good deal, <laughs> you know? And I'm just saying that's, that was the, and because the fact is the truth is on both sides, right? The truth is definitely, it was a good deal, but also if you can't see what's actually, ha- is, this is why it's important again, to really dig into the true root causes and the true impacts. And, you know, I love, I'm much more engaged with the Austrian thinkers because they, are willing to see more, right? They're willing to shine light more around the edges of an issue. And I really regret not being part of a conversation in 2008 that was looking into, you know, well, this could actually really be a bad precedent. Um, I mean, it's inevitable. This is an, it was an inevitable thing of fiat, but it would help me understand much more why, um, why Bitcoin would be launched right then and there, right? Like, why was it so impactful? Right. Right. I mean, before prior Bitcoin, I can see the argument can be made that, okay, well, you need the government to bail the system. Like, what, what is the alternative for society if they don't step in and socialize the losses and, like, let the system collapse? It's like, like total, total chaos, like, just the end of, like, no empire is just going to let that happen. They're going to step in and defend their, their currency system. So, I mean, and without Bitcoin, it's like, I can see the argument for, okay, well, to prevent, like, to prevent a World War Three level chaos events of, of the multi, I mean, really, what we're living through now, that that to prevent that earlier, yeah, bail bail out the system. But now we have Bitcoin. Now we have an alternative system to uh, onboard everybody onto. So it's going to be harder to convince me of that at this point. I think, but like, not like they're not going to do it. They're going to well, print. They're going to print to socialize everything. 
They are, but if, if you know, if the hope of Bitcoin is that it demonetizes this system. I mean, right. if you if you look at the money that got printed, even for TARP, it was like under a trillion dollars because Paulson oh, it was, didn't yeah, it was 20 years ago. This. I think you mentioned this in the last podcast, right? About how Paulson didn't want, couldn't even break the barrier. So they made it like, you know, something like 800 billion or something under a trillion because they didn't think the public, they thought the public would go completely nuts, right? Mm-hmm. But today, that is like child's play, like a trillion dollars. We probably printed a trillion dollars in the last six months, easy, just to manage, just in swap lines. The, and... What was the number after they, they finished, they get a, uh, raised the debt ceiling? They printed it like $1.3 just for the second half of this year or something like yeah. that? It was a so, ludicrous number, like a so number that question... doesn't make sense at all, even if you try to think about it. Yeah, so what was significant about 08 wasn't that they printed money. It was that there was a state change that essentially made, A, this too-big-to-fail idea really made that an, an ideal, a permanent ideal, and then they mechanized they mechanized the Fed to be able to carry that out um, pretty flawlessly and easily in the future until 2020 when that was tested, and then they had to build all the new mechanisms to to flood the market with um, right flood the market with cash so I think it's like it's it's interesting to go back and look and just say you know what really was significant I think was the Fed becoming a financial entity that was gonna buy you know that was gonna buy asset and hold assets yeah like bitcoiners don't necessarily can't predict the price of Bitcoin other than like yeah number go up. Other, but then looking at the uh, prediction of how, how does a monetary system fail? Well, like, we don't know yeah. how this one will fail. We can just, like, there are certain things that are going to have to happen on the path. And one of them, I mean, happened in 2008. Like, that state change of, like, they're going to have to start printing money and socializing those losses at some point if they want to keep the system running. And 2008 was the point that that happened. Yeah, and that allowed, I mean, basically the, um, what they enabled was for the markets to say irrational almost indefinitely if you denominate it in our lifetimes yeah assuming if people don't if if there was no escape hatch if people had to stay inside their monetary system then yeah i mean it's a that's a very long-term solution we'll just keep devaluing the money eventually yeah people are going to be destitute and like the people that own a few things will own everything like it's the reason to own assets and in an inflationary environment is your assets will inflate as they inflate the currency um but on the flip side, it's like, I mean, right, there, there's no happy ending here. The happy ending of, of the debt that we have is that, well, they print so much money that they can pay it off. But to do that destroys the currency in and of itself anyway. Do you ever wonder, yeah, I mean, so do you ever wonder this question about um, Satoshi and the Genesis block? Is, was, you know, was it ready and he just got angry enough to do it? Or was it, not ready and he got angry enough and just did it and just said fuck it we'll figure it out clearly satoshi he she they it whatever it is like they had some kind of plan ahead of time this wasn't a thing where like i can't imagine that something like bitcoin would like i'm trying to parallel it with okay what do i create i create podcasts on a weekly basis and sometimes i finish the edit before the Thursday morning release date. And I don't really, like, it's like, no, Thursday morning is when it comes out. So, so I can't believe, I can't, it seems unlikely to me that a project of the magnitude of Bitcoin, that Satoshi had it in the bag and then was like, you know, oh, I just finished it. Let's release it now. Like, Satoshi must have sat on it for a while to get things in proper order. Like, the 2008 financial crisis 
obviously wasn't the thing that woke Satoshi up to the need for a stateless currency system. It's like, this was something that the cypherpunks have been working on for decades and decades and decades. But like the release, how do you release something like this? It's, it's such a, it's a beautiful thing, like beautiful and like perfect immaculate conception birth that Satoshi gave to Bitcoin and it, the, how he lined it up with, okay, it was after the 2008 crash where every, like people are looking, people realize there's a state change has happened, but a lot of people didn't realize what that state change was. They just know something big just happened and I should be paying attention to it, but I don't know what that thing is. And, and, and like even the, the, what, what Satoshi stamped into the Genesis block, the, the times of London, the chancellor on the brink of second, but like that was like, I can't yeah. imagine that just happened. It's like, oh, that's perfect. Let me just stamp that in. Like, he had to have seen that and like, oh, that's going to be the one. When I release it, that's, this is going to be the Genesis block. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Actually, if you know, if you don't mind, there's something that wasn't really on our list that I, th- I think it'd be good in this context. Um, we talk about Bitcoin. We've talked in the past about, like, I'm, you know, I'll read textbooks and say on cryptography and then want to look at generalizing and like, okay, what... You know, you can understand Bitcoin, but what were all of the other... You don't really see all of the other um, work that went into what we know as Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. And danger... What So what I've been thinking about is what we have, I think, as human beings and our thinking, potentially a flaw in our thinking, is a bias. I'm trying to really come up with a name for it, but maybe it's sort of like a... It's a... It's not a survivor bias. It's more of a, uh, a visibility bias. Like we see this thing and we think it was the only thing we, that somebody thought of the perfect thing. <laughs> and that was it. Somebody thought of the perfect thing, made it, and now we have it. And it's almost like you see somebody who is ripped and jacked. And most people believe they were just born that way. Yeah. Right. You see somebody who's really well educated and you generally think that they were born that way you know we have a real you know we have a weakness i think in seeing the work and i mean you know i wonder if the genius of bitcoin is being shown the work and that's why it works is because we actually need to be shown we must be shown the work to validate the re- the fact that this thing is actually real right that this dude isn't wearing a muscle shirt Right, that shows his pecs. Yeah, I know right. that whenever I drive past somebody on the road running, I just my brain is like, oh, that there's a runner. That person must is just this is what they do all the time. Whereas in reality, yeah, they could be there second day running and they're in massive pain right now. That's an it's interesting. Hard. Yeah, and it's interesting so, like to think of the like the orange pill process like at, pulls the like unless somebody goes to the gym and starts lifting weights, which a lot of people aren't going to do. That's just that's just outside the wheelhouse of what they do. They'll never real have that realization of how much work that somebody that looks like that has put into themselves. So it, with money, everybody has to use money. Eventually, everybody's going to have to do the work on Bitcoin. It's like, it's that that's it's a re- revelatory process of revealing. Once you have that switch and you realize, oh, there's there's a there there to learn here, you real oh, the, those people, those crazy Bitcoiners, oh, there's signal there. And it, yeah, it's, it's like you were talking about phase changes. That's a phase change of like your understanding of a concept. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I just I wonder how much of how we view results, right, as done, as right. We view result like we. The best example maybe is athletes. You know, we see, you watch Tiger Woods putt at a at a at a major, and you see, you know, you just like you. 
don't know like how how many hours you just don't know how long he spent like from like basically the age of two training on this you know and you see the people roger federer and these beautiful athletes that, that just do everything perfectly right which is i'm not advocating like hey you know think about try to think about what it took to get people there i'm, I'm saying that the fact that we don't do that is part of it's possibly a result of fiat it's the beauty of you competence know? somebody who is competent at something does it can perform it in a way that it makes other people think that oh i could do that I just wonder if Fiat has made us not even consider looking at what it took. Like it's made us all sort of made our wired our brains to just assume that it was created without the work. Man, you know, Fiat is such a mind virus. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Fiat encourages you just to see the end state. It's like, oh well, oh it's just an iPhone 14, man. Whereas, yeah, you you don't see like the how much of an innovation that is so yeah well yeah oh my god i have a great a great story there too i mean I, my daughter was being like she was getting these weird phone calls on snapchat you know and like she's not supposed to use snapchat and she knows that and i got like what i got angry about and what i the speech i gave my kids i was like you guys understand how powerful a tool the phone is you guys understand what kind of freedom it's giving people all over the world and like you're using it basically for this shit you know like dude what like that's what upsets me you know it's like that that is what upsets me like you guys i want you need, and then that's like now now you need to understand like how people in nigeria are actually banking themselves because of this silicone chip that is in this phone and you know this frivolous shit um not to get you know, not to get off on a total tangent. I really do think there's some real meat here. With um, it, it is true with the phone. Like, yeah, we have no idea. We we totally take it for granted what it takes. And you know what? I mean, we're supposed to, so that we don't really see the suffering that goes into building these phones. Right. We Again, a, a feature of Fiat is like they don't want us to see the work that's going into these devices. Um. So with res- so then you know this kind of goes to like we had this conversation last week about um math time preference um everything worthwhile takes work right and most of what is most of what doesn't get done doesn't not most of what actually doesn't happen isn't a result of talent necessarily it's a result of it's a result of time preference and seeing the value of um going through tedious shit right i mean all the things Mm. we mentioned right working out getting becoming fit is tedious it's not painful like torture right it's painful like tedious like i think i'm lifting it right and my trainer is like nope once again i'm going to show you that you're not and but to your benefit right <laughs> i'm going to show you you know and he's you know keep tightening the screws it's very tedious right if you've ever had a coaching relationship right the coach will always find something that you're doing wrong and it is t- it's it's upsetting and tedious to live like that, right? But nobody ever does anything great without going through all that. And what with, <laughs> with Fiat has done, it's it's again it's time preference. Like like when we have low, when we have high time preference, we don't even have the tedium to think about what somebody did to get to where they are, or what anything took to create something. Do you think that right? people Fiat like Fiaters, the Fiat brain people? Do you think that Fiat itself makes 
people resistant to the expertise of others. It's like that. I remember like taking the, the idea of like constructive criticism um, pissed me off for most yes. of it. Like I never liked being criticized any, like even like if I'm doing it wrong, like, oh, having a coach tell me I'm doing something wrong pissed me off. But like it goes back to time preference again. And I know, look, my my dad was a coach. My mom was a coach. My wife is a coach. So I, and I was raised to be a coach. Like we were always in sports culture coaching. Um, and I know a lot of people who say that they don't want to coach today um, for a variety of reasons, right? Not that some of it is political, but like the, but it's all a result of time preference. Like if you don't see the value of a, if you don't like a coach is a dick. You, it's a guy you hire to be a dick. Okay. Right. Because he, and it's a dick that like loves what your talent can do and wants, wants to make the most of it. Right. But if you don't have the time preference to see the value in that, then all you have is somebody you don't like, right? It's just it. And so you're just going to, it's not even about like not wanting to know what it takes. It's just, you already know it takes nothing that you can print a skill, right? Gang, gang, right? Ice cream's so good. You can just create this marketable skill. And I can't believe takes, you just made that reference. <laughs> it takes nothing, right? Well, you just adapt. Not and then people who actually the people who can actually help you there, right? Those those people, the coaches, right? They're not. It's not like you choose. Like you know what? I don't need a coach. It's just like no, fuck this asshole, right? The guy's a prick. There's no I value. Think, you see no value to the, that person whatsoever. You see no value to that process. I think a difference in like approach to coaching is like, did you? approach this coach or did somebody else put you in a position to like put, be coached by this person? So like, it, like when I was in high school and I was on the track team, like I didn't want to be on the track team. I was on the track team because my parents had expectations that I had to be on the track team. So all of the coaching that was done to me on the track team was came to me resistant, like in a resistant form. Mm. Whereas I, I wanted to skateboard. So like when I was at the skate park and I had like other guys who were better skaters than me and they were willing to teach me like, critique my skill and like do things like I was looking like I would go to them asking them questions because it was a thing that I was pursuing so for I think most people in life are just present like having having a financial advisor like people don't want to be advised on things it's like you it's like you have to have a financial advisor because the fiat system is art is made artificially so complex to force like, well, it's just too complicated for me. So I might as well give 10% of it to somebody else and let them tell me what to do with it. It's like, nobody wants mm. that, but because we're forced into it is like, I, there's probably some friction there that other, that shouldn't necessarily need to be there. It's like, this is beautiful. Oh my God. I didn't even think we could get here from this. I did not think the plane, I didn't think there was a airport to land a plane on this topic. This is amazing. And by the way, I'm not. I don't have a second job while I do this podcast, doing uh, you know, on TikTok, <laughs> getting ice cream. I, I kind of, oh, it's, it's, it's OnlyFans, right? You're gonna you're gonna show your OnlyFans link on this this podcast, right? That <laughs> was a direct reference. But um, so yeah, let me think about this for a second. So we, I was, I've been in, um, I've been pretty engaged this week in arguments with financial advisors. Not, not intentionally. It's just that like. Their shit triggers me when I see it on Twitter. Oh, I right? saw you chatting with Morgan on Twitter. Yeah. Morgan Richard, Pierre's wife. Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of people I'm not supposed to be fighting with because, you know, they're blue check uh, influencers. and But they say shit and they do shit that literally, like, triggers 
my bullshit uh, meter to the point where I, like her and I have argued a lot in the last year. There's a lot of let's agree to disagree if on Twitter <laughs> uh, between her and I, and then Andy Etchum was another one. I don't care to like say these people's names or anything like that. I don't like, I'm, I'm not, I don't really no, like I mean, care. Like, like we about say the names of like, listeners. Go, go follow these people. Like these are people talking about Bitcoin. Like the, yeah, you may disagree True. with what they have to yes. say, but these are people talking about Bitcoin, high signal people. Well, that's the thing though. Like I, I don't know. I, I, they can be high signal people and they have the capability of being high signal people. Right. And if I had a very high time preference, Right. And I would just assume they're high signal people and not care what they had to do to get to where they are. But I believe that they are. Look, I believe that there are certain people in this world. They are probably the best versions of them. So let me let me say that, you know, so when we talk about financial planners, right, I made a quote, I made a post on Twitter. I'm going to paraphrase it. But basically, financial planning is maybe the fakest profession that the fiat monster ever created. Okay. Uh, now it's not them that that was, I, I made that post after a couple of arguments with these guys. Um, I'm going to specifically, the thing that Andy wrote that triggered me was he said, if you don't care about the Bitcoin price, you either don't understand Bitcoin or you don't understand the world. And I basically, I quote tweeted it and argued, I destroyed it in the way people would expect me to pretty few words you know and he got triggered a little bit and responded and we had about four or five back and forths till i realized he was repeating himself and not not advancing the conversation and i said all right dude you're not you're just not acknowledging that maybe you you didn't make this point right i found proof by contradiction so um, the, these are legacy these are people that are, like have their toes in the bitcoin market but like their day job is like they're in the legacy finance market is that, is that no actually these guys work for swan right and the other thing was i, I was getting into these arguments and then there was a bomb dropped on swan really in that oh, I the prime be... the whole prime trust thing no yes. no 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 oh, separate no, from that was, yeah okay. there was like there was like drama like twitter bitcoin Bitcoin, Twitter, toxic, maxi, um, personal ad hominem attack on a particular Swan influencer that I didn't want to. I just didn't want anything to do with. Um, I know a lot of people at Swan, and I have friends there. And you know, as much as I like to, I want to criticize them from, like the way as a Jewish guy, I like to criticize Israel and what they do. Right, mm. I think it's important to do. Let's feel like how Bitcoin are criticizing Swan is an important thing to do. Well, like iron sharpens iron, man. Like Bitcoiners uh, have to tear other Bitcoiners down so that the shitcoiners can't get an inch. Yeah, but tw- the, uh, this was like this. This attack was like a terrorist attack, and you know who knows? Maybe one day this person who did this will be viewed as some hero. But like on the surface, dude, it looks like just I don't like you, and it it was per- so. I don't know. Some people probably know what I'm talking about. I don't. I didn't want to get into it here. I just don't want to. I don't want to be part. Of, I really don't want anything to do with it. To be honest, right? Yeah. It's all I want to things. do is critic. All I want to do is criticize things that are of signal ideas, right? And so, um, but this thing happened, and so I kind of just had to pull back. <laughs> I kind of had to pull back on it. Just you know, it's 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 kind of like 
Swan, it's impossible to detangle all the shit that Swan has going on, right? But these guys, just so now, having said all that, they work, they work for Swan. I think Swan Private is like financial advisors, which I think that's what they do. They they talk to people and they say, hey, you should have a certain amount of money in Bitcoin, right? This all sounds great, right? You should have a certain amount of money in Bitcoin, obviously, or you're not going to make it. Which is exactly what you and I would say to people, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Except I wouldn't tweet these things. I wouldn't tweet things that suggest like that you need me, right? Like you need somebody like me. And so I was having these thoughts like these guys are actually fiat. They're fiat finance who happen to recommend Bitcoin. So the argument I got into with Morgan was she said something about if you um, this is going to make me look like an asshole completely. So whatever she's. you guys know that I'm a nitpicker for Signal. Okay. This is what it, I'm, it's a I'm bear market. This is what Bitcoiners do in bear markets. Okay. So she said something like um, if you over allocate in a Bitcoin, you will have less Bitcoin. Okay. Which actually, you know, from a certain point of view, and if you're Obi Wan Kenobi, from a certain point of view, that's a pretty insightful, potentially insightful thing. So what she said, what it sounds like she's saying there is, if you over allocate into Bitcoin, and then you're putting yourself in a position where you may have to sell it to in an emergency, and you'll end up with less than you would have had had you made a a different allocation. Anybody who wants to actually see this thing can go find it. Let me just tell you guys my what what triggered me is the, and I think this is on brand and consistent with how I've conducted myself through. 16 episodes here, right? Which is, <laughs> my objection was this idea that you have any fucking clue what the right allocation of anything is for somebody. Mm, okay. So you don't know what's optimal for somebody. You don't know, you just, and the thing is, I what, the reason I get, object to this is because to me, fundamentally, Bitcoin is, you know, is praxeology and, you know, Austrian school. Not that I'm a slave to it, but like you cannot uh, that decisions are made at the margins. Okay, Mm, you mm -hmm. don't. And these people are not acting like decisions are made at the margins, right? They're acting like they have a one size fits all. Now they'll still that they, I you know you guys know I like to be called on my bullshit. None of you do it, but I wish you 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 all do it in person, which is cool. Uh, But like. They act like they have an, a way to actually know what the right Bitcoin allocation is. And we, we, so we had a great con- So part of it was we had such a fucking great conversation about this last week where I thought it was truly first principles like, you know what? The only way to really know to me what the right Bitcoin allocation is is the one that causes you to do the work, right? Because you have enough skin in the game. But it's also the one that keeps your time preference from lowering because you're you can't live in the world so somewhere in between those two sides of the spectrum is probably and it's probably the you know you know what i mean that, that i wouldn't i wouldn't hope to know what the actual answer is right that answer is different for everybody that's right? a good but point nobody, yeah like like somebody could have ten thousand sets and be like what is and that that could ignite the fire for them versus Somebody who ha- I mean, some if you're if you're a millionaire and you do like a one percent allocation to Bitcoin, you're not gonna get it. I mean, yes. maybe, maybe some of well, them might, but yeah, it's a, it's a different it's a different animal. The, the example I gave last week too, and it was we didn't get into it, but it's like you, the three days in Vegas. Um, 
almost everybody, if they're going to have any fun, is going to gamble to their gulp limit. And so you could be broke and maybe you're at the, you know, you're at the one, two black, you know, whatever you're, you're, you're one, two, I'm mixing poker. I haven't been to Vegas in a long time because I haven't given a shit about gambling in a long time. But like, what is it? The $10 hands or $10 tables or $5 tables in Vegas. That's where like, if you go off the strip or into downtown old school, you could find those $5 tables, right? Fremont street. And, that's where it's at. Right. And that's like where, yeah, that's where I used to hang out. But if you are, um, you know, if you are a wealthy VC, if you're Andreessen Horowitz and you got all this exit liquidity coming in and, you know, you're not going to have much fun playing blackjack for $5 a hand and you're not going to do it. You're going to have a special room where you, the, you know, the gambling is legitimately enough to fucking trigger you into To fear. give you, yeah, an emotional reaction. Right? Otherwise, there's no point in doing it. Okay, right? And so everyone who... Every, the analogy to Bitcoin is that this you have your worry... You, you know, you have your net worth, a certain amount of your net worth in something that you're actually afraid of losing it, right? And also, the flip side of it. So that's clearly you're going to do the work on learning how to secure it, right? You're going to stay up at night wondering, am I good, right? Mm. That's going to stimulate you to do that work, right? And learn about it. And also then there's this power of owning something that's going to be like, well, what is this thing that I actually own and what is it doing? Why do I feel this way? Why am I so, all of a sudden, why am I crushing it with people I used to be intimidated by, right? Why do I like, why, you know, why is that happening? Do you think what the this hell is, is this thing? Do you think this kind of like realization is something that could be acquired from like owning physical gold or is this, is this a... Uh... A revelation that is only only coming from truly hard currency, like stateless currency. Mm, I think I don't think you're going to learn about Bitcoin necessarily because you own gold. Well, I, you'll learn a, you know, it, but you'll learn. I think like you'll probably go down an Austrian path. Yeah, I think gold I could think, teach a lot of the important lessons. Which I mean, but like that being said, like looking at the boomers out there right now, like the boomers have had decades to learn the lessons of gold, and so many of them haven't. Even, Peter Schiff as the prime example. I mean, I think he's playing an act at this point. I, there's, I, I don't, I can't believe that he's been aware of Bitcoin and been on this single side of the trade this long of it for this long of a time. But yeah, so like maybe maybe that's you know not what? true. Like gold it's can a teach rock. a lot of important lessons, but it's like man, it's, a, it's also can is, trap you. This is a rock paper Bitcoin question at its core, right? Like what is like? Do you get this? Like you know we. I, there's a world before Bitcoin where I only saw generally two dimensions of things I could talk about and identify, which is the physical world and this abstract, this abstraction of the physical world, right? Which mm. th that's what rock and paper represent. Rock is physical world, right? Gold comes in that world, right? And then paper is the abstraction of the physical world, which maybe allows you to transport gold across the world without doing it. With, but then you have to rely on ideas. Yeah. Right, um, and trust. Paper is, you know, paper takes trust uh, to scale the physical world. Right, right. abstraction is important for scaling the species, but at if you're abstracting away at the at the cost of a centralized source of of a weakness, like a centralized weakness, then you're putting yourself in a position for where we find ourselves today, where that centralized position has been exploited. 
Yeah, so it always will be exploited. But then, so then you have this thing called this this Bitcoin category, and that is like things you can't see, or touch, or feel, but are very very real. They're undeniably real, right? And we talk yeah, about universal saying, truth, yeah. not not subjective individual truth, but universal truth. Well, it's more like like in the school in the schooling example, you know. The rock is the schoolhouse and the books and the paper is like the diploma and the degree and the, the prestige. But then the Bitcoin category is the learning, the maturity, the like the what knowledge. Those things are really abstract. Like those things can't be defined. You can't see it. You can't really test for it. But like extremely, extremely real. Yeah, right? Bitcoin can, is you know, taking that knowledge and acting on it and doing something in the world with it. But it's also, yeah, but, and Bitcoin is giving a actual rubric for, it's the one thing in that category that you can actually say is, does exist or doesn't exist in a certain context. Man, right? I know, I, can, I know people that have been like trapped. It's like, it's like the, the fiat world again, it's like the, the rock paper, they get to the, it's like the, the abstraction of the real world and then lose themselves there and then just spend yeah. 30 years of getting a, like going going after a doctorate an MBA and this then like never get out into the real real world and actually apply everything that they've been just dumping value and money into for 30 years it's just like what are you going to do with it oh oh well nothing oh well you'll teach it to the future like you're going to kick the can down the road and just oh well I'll teach it to other people cuz I I don't have anything to do with it in the real world it's like how do you transition from that it's a, a getting back it's a state change Yes, taking the, 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 is, the state of education and pivoting it into something actionable where you can pull value out of the world into your own personal coffers. It's a state change. Um, and, it, you know, like uh, the example maybe of God for people who for people who believe in God, it's very real. They don't need to see it. They know. Right. Yeah, they know exactly. But. But it's you can't verify it. Well. That's, you can't you ver- get into you that. Can't like, verify. I what would I'm saying I would... is, you, in an objective sense, I, like you can't bring somebody out into a, uh, you can't bring somebody into your basement and say, "Look, there it is." Right. So that's the difference. Like God and Bitcoin are similar. It's like if they're if similar, you, you can yes. do the work to grasp it yourself, but you you'll never be able to just plop somebody else in front of it and it's like I can I can what what was the, what was the quote I can. I can um, I can teach it to you, but I can't understand it for you. But that's why this idea of God was be able was able to be corrupted and scaled for power to the extent that it was right on this rock that we're floating on. It's probably the most incredible, um, even though the it's a very real thing and it's very powerful for individuals. Right? It's probably because it can't be verified. Right? It's. It was basically perverted and scaled for power in an absolutely unprecedented way, right? It's like anything that comes along that can't be verified will be essentially abstracted for power, right? Yeah. And that's the thing. So the thing that makes this is the thing that makes Bitcoin unique in the category of metaphysical real things, right? Like it's not you know we we that's that's why we want to identify. Whether they could be verified or not is a good thing to understand, right? But we want we want to be able to understand that there are metaphysical things that are very real. And I think there's a lot of people in this world that would benefit from knowing that knowledge is real, that you know, spirits or spirituality is real. And there you know, it's 
I mean, even something came along. Yeah, but hold on, because something came along that can now be verified. That's in that realm. Now it opens the door to actually say it opens the door to say now um, all of the things in that category are they can be real. They just can't be verified, right? So it's a whole nother like that's a whole different category of God and religion from what it was, you know, fifty years ago, where it's like you know, fuck this bullshit. It's too corrupt, and who knows if it's even real or not, right? There's now a category for a lot of these things, right? The problem is our time preference has been raised so high that we don't give a shit anymore, <laughs> just as we talked about. We don't care that we don't care what's personally powerful for anybody. We don't care what goes into making somebody who they are. Yeah, I mean, we don't you, care about their knowledge. We don't care about these metaphysical things that they work so hard to get to be who they are. You're describing the path that I yeah. walked. It's like, I mean, Bitcoin, I think, is... Like Bitcoin is the first objective truth that I bounced again. I ran into, and it's like, oh, I ran into a into a wall that pushed back, and it's like having run into that wall, I realized, oh, there are actually there are other boundaries here that I that I should be aware of that I was previously um, ignorant of, and like realize the realization like Bitcoin is empirical evidence of universal truth that universal truth is is a real thing in the world, and it's not. And but before that. I mean, I was an atheist. I was like, oh, well, truth is subjective. My truth is, is this just as true as anybody else's truth. Um, but now, look, real, having done the work to realize where that goes, I mean, that leads to socialism. That leads to communism. And that leads to people making the claim that 2 plus 2 equals 5. And they're like, oh, well, your math is racist. And racism, like, black people can't be racist because racism is, is structural oppression. And the, the, re, the, the redefinition of terms. Enter Bitcoin. And that Bitcoin taught me, like, oh, well, we can redefine terms, but that doesn't change the fact that there is underlying truth in the world. And having that revelation, that put me in a position to realize that the, the other underlying truths of the world, metaphysics, and like the, the truth of God's love, like God loves all of us, and like the, these other truths that are out there. But I mean, nobody can make you understand these things, and you have to do the work to understand them yourselves. Yeah, it's the quite. It's like I think I could have named this, like. Rock, paper, Bitcoin was kind of fun and it made sense, but I could have named it, well, what about Bitcoin? Because all your models are broken because you have to now ask the question, well, wait, do you know Bitcoin exists? Does everything still hold? And nobody does that. And in this, you know, these financial planners especially are just like, well, we're just going to jam Bitcoin into the construct we already knew, but we're not going to ask if it blows up all of the underpinnings that were we were basing this thing on before. And the fact of the matter is the only reason we created this monster is because we're helping people navigate a system that's so complicated and stupid that most of the shit is imagined anyway. And this is just another imagined career to help people navigate an imagined financial world. And they're just going to jam Bitcoin. That's the thing that drives me nuts now, right? They're just going to jam Bitcoin in without asking, wait, but Bitcoin's supposed to dematerialize this whole thing and disintegrate it. Right. Yeah, one of the most beautiful things about Bitcoin is the Trojan horse nature of it. It's like e- even people that don't realize what they're grasping, like like BlackRock. There might be a few people in BlackRock that understand what they're fucking with, but I mean, for for a lot of people, for a lot of investors, I mean, Bit- they're going to be interested in Bitcoin just because oh, like this is a way to diversify my risk portfolio. It's like they're not going to realize what it is until Bitcoin slaps them in the face. Yes, and you know. I think that that what about Bitcoin is is fun because I think that's yeah 
you get to that realization, like each of us come to that realization of like, oh, Bitcoin's going to turn everything in the world upside down. So then you get to sit back and like, okay, well, what am I enjoying? Like all of, I have this whole list of podcasts that I've been listening to for years that they're not Bitcoin podcasts, but I, at one point I realized, oh, all of these people, all of these creative professionals that I have come to enjoy and like to incorporate their, their knowledge sets into my life, I am going to get to watch all of them live through bitcoin changing their lives and it's just i i just happen to see it before them all and it doesn't necessarily have to be a peaceful transformation no it, is. it certainly won't be because what people you know and that's the thing like i it's like if you do not really grapple with it you're gonna like i mean my god you're it's gonna be you're gonna look like you're kicking and screaming and it's gonna you know you're gonna look like peter schiff yeah, basically, right? For I mean, people that and, don't for people that don't know or don't see what's going on. I mean, yeah, bitcoiners look really fucking strange. Like you it's affected like, his whole family. Yes. It, it's insanity. Yeah, you know, I don't even know if his son is real. Or if it's another like <laughs> or if it's somebody play, that he playing has. a role. Yeah. He uh that's it's interesting the way it, it's a fa- Peter Schiff and Spencer this his son. This not real. It's, it's they're they're definitely <laughs> For a while, like they're definitely playing roles, may, whether yeah. they're aware of it or not. Like they're back and forth. It's like he, the way Spencer, like he got into Bitcoin and now is pushing back against Bitcoin. Like allegedly, alle- You're talking uh, like he's a real person, right? Allegedly, this this character. I didn't see air quotes. Nobody could see, but like. <laughs> the uh, it's like just looking at them. It's like that. It feels more and more like theater the longer it's gone on. It's like there's a few things that like like politics feels more and more like theater. It's like Bitcoin kind of immunizes you to kind of a certain level of bullshit in the world. Yeah, and what is theater? Theater is something you show up to that you do not ever consider the years of bit-by-bit practice and what it takes to build a production. You know, you just show up and... And you you see the end state. And now we live in a... You know, look, we happen to live in a world where time preference is high and actually the effort to put on a show is very low so on twitter you can you can invent a theater like in a snap you can you do not need a production company you do not need funding you do not need costumes you do not need sets or a script or people with talent or the anything like that you could just say hey i you know i'm this guy i'm this character you can just invent your character out of thin air and it's as fiat as it's it's all it's all fucking connected, right? And so, like, the, just the fact that theater happens so easily now is just another symptom, right? That all of this is fucking backed by nothing, and it'll it's, it has no integrity. It'll fall apart with the next good story, and that's just the way the world of high time preference works. It really does feel like no coiners are like the the NPC character, like they're part of the of a theater production. And then, like, you run into, like, real people out there who actually can pivot and think on their feet and react intelligently to the world around them. And it's like, oh, you're not part of the, the production. It's like, and, like, the, the uh, that's an, yeah, I've, I've never thought Matrix of it that way. But yeah, right, Matri- yeah, the Matrix 101 of, like, the, the people that are still plugged in and then whenever you present them with information that is, could potentially threaten their view of the Matrix, the agent beams in and then fights back and, like, and says all of the things that the agent is telling them. Like, that's, that's interesting. Like, may- maybe we are real. This is, what, what's, what was the movie with Jim Carrey? Um, the Truman Show. The Truman Show, yeah. So, yeah. Man, like, 
the Truman Show is... It's like there, there's a few things that have made me feel more like the Truman Show is a documentary than than a psychedelic trip. So a psychedelic trip makes you see outside the boundaries of the play, and you see the people at the edge of the stages that are like that are, uh, and and you see like people around you like saying a line and like all of the things that you see like on an actual theater production. It's a, a good psychedelic trip will let you see that in in the world around you. But man, I really like this idea of the the theater production. It's like oh that's that's brilliant. Yeah. That's it. The, Tr- dude, the Truman Show. I remember when the Truman Show came out in films and it in the film in the theater, and it freaked everybody out. And there's I think a everyone, there's a section agree- in the Wikipedia article yeah. about how it freaks people out. Like, dude, I think everybody see this and agreed. about them. Everybody just agreed not to talk about it ever. <laughs> yes, yes, that's a big part of society, man. There's just things we just have all agreed not to talk about. Like the emperor wears no clothes, but we're not going to talk about it. You know. So let me ask a quick question about terminology, right? People talk about NPCs as though they're like sheep, right? Or maybe, they, but aren't NPCs like willful? Like they don't, they want to be not seen, but they they act willfully. Well, in the video game, so so for people that don't know, NPC stands for non-player character, and in video games, um, it, it's an idea that comes from video games. So in, in a video game like right. World of Warcraft, there's a, the player characters, there's actual people who are playing the game, and then there's NPCs, there's non-player characters that are they're just generated by by the system, and they're doing things like, oh, they're the store, the store owner or the shopkeep or just the guy wandering up and down the road. These are NPCs. And Tom, so, Nook, that, Tom Nook, that motherfucker. Yeah, right, Tom, Tom Nook. Tom <laughs> Nook is, a, is, a, is an NPC from Animal Crossing. And so for people, like... Whenever you have your Truman Show moment and and that light fixture falls next to you and you realize oh I'm on a set right now, and you start looking around it's like the NPCs are like I qu- I question whether NPC like what is driving them because I would looking back at my life like when I I kind I think I was an NPC for a long time and now that makes me question am I an NPC now it's like I don't I don't think I am I feel like there was a moment of in my life where I woke up in a way that I mean I, I've mentioned this before it like it was like waking up from being asleep, but that, that level of waking up of a of realization of, but I was awake. So this is why I'm asking the question though, because I feel like I do know what motivates them. I've, I've always looked at an NPC as somebody who willfully wants to blend in, willfully doesn't want to be noticed or seen as threatening in any way, willfully wants to just be able to hang out and be in a society without anybody worrying about them and so they have played video games enough and they know what those characters look like enough that they have designed their lives to be those characters. Well, it's like the, the gang gang thing, like that's the, end, that's the, the newest iteration well, of the NPC, of like people that are taking it to the extreme of like, I'm going to pretend to be an NPC on stream in, ter- in return for money. That's one. Yeah, I think it's an example. Right. But then I, because I think about like, is it possible for me to look at my dad as an NPC? And I don't think it is because he never played a video game in his life and doesn't, it's, he's not trying to blend in or be unnoticed or yeah, okay. anything like that. That's not, that's, that's assume, making the assumption that people are trying to emulate a video game NPC. I don't, that's what I don't, I, yeah, yeah, that's I don't, what I I don't think. think it's an emulation. <laughs> I think this is like a state of consciousness. I think, I think those, so I think those people are just sheep. Yes. But so, so can, but the, so that begs the question like, can sheep, be turned into wolves and it's like i i think some of them can um but like for evidence like i think that's what happened to me like as as uh, as my con it's like the maslow's hierarchy of needs as i ascended maslow's hierarchy 
um, my consciousness changed. There were state changes in my consciousness as I ascended Maslow's hierarchy. And so it's a difficult conversation to have because it's you're, you're now dumping people into categories of like, uh, it could end up like with a concentration camp level shit. Um, but so like, I think that there is a good percentage of the species out there who is operating on instinct. They're not operating from an intelligence. They're yeah. operating just like on a day-to-day animal level instinct. And you can get upcycled and kicked out of that, but most people never do. I mean, you can, that's Great, the, but I, all of society yeah. is designed to keep people in that instinctual lizard brain level existence and keep them from elevating themselves into an actionable, um, actualized state. The sheep doesn't know, right? The problem with like what I would call an NPC is I think that they, A, yes, have a willful intent to be that way. And B, they believe that others should they believe that's the ethics. What's like the, the willfulness? So, like, yeah, it, like it feels it, like you're describing the um, introverts versus extroverts. So, like, an extroverted person would be willing to go out and go out into the world, whereas an introverted person would want to stay in. Whereas, and I can't just say that all introverted people are NPCs. There have to, there has to be like. No, I get like, it. So I'm saying if you you I guess maybe the people we you think of as NPCs, maybe some of them, maybe a lot of them are actually in, intentionally like. Please don't look at me. Please just play your game. For sure. And let me be in the game. And then you have people who just don't know because they're, they're, they're there. They don't know, right? They're, they're, they're the sheep, I guess, and they just don't know how they're being led. But I think the people who are like willful NPCers are also the ones who they believe their ethics are like that you should be that way. And who the fuck are you to want freedom or anything like that? And so I think they're harder. They'd be harder to teach to be a wolf because you have to talk them out of their current belief system. Oh, sure. I mean, uh, it's like... Whereas a sheep, you can actually just wake up and then probably just wait, <laughs> you know? The, uh, it's like, what was it? I think the Buddha is like, it's difficult. It's like, you see, you go and sit in front of the Buddha and ask for enlightenment and he gives you a cup of tea and then pours tea into it, and it until it overflows. It's like no, that's enough. Like I don't. It's like like this is you. You've come to me already full. Like you need to be. You need to empty yourself before you're capable of internalizing wisdom from somebody who is outside of like your NPC status. So like, but that emptying right. your cup, the NPC, like that. That's a decision that you have to. Each individual person has to make. So yeah, that's a person who already came to the conclusion that they want enlightenment and that they went to the Buddha. Yeah, but I mean, it's like that—that's something that I mean, you can train kids. I mean, like it's like if you raise that. There's, I was told like when I was a kid, it's like if you raise your kids in the church, then like they like they will never you can they will never 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 leave the church. Which I I scoffed at in my adolescence because like oh yeah, watch me, and then I left the church and wasn't was god of my own world for a couple years until that fell apart. Um, but so like raising kids in the church like can position them to realize. Like oh, there's intelligent people in the world that believe there's ultimate truth. That there's beyond. That there's more than just these three dimensions or four dimensions with time that we're that we're living in. Um, so like, there's things you can do to like set the NPCs sheep up for success. Um, like I I never, whenever whenever I was a less developed person, I didn't consciously make the decision. Like I want to become an enlightened, self-actual human being. That was something that happened to me just because of the path that I put myself on. Like, it was God's will. It wasn't my decision. It was just, this was the path that God laid out for me. I made that decision. 
for some reason. I, I can't remember when it was in my life, but it's like, no, that's I want to be enlightened. <laughs> right. And then I think the majority of people, I think it makes you an asshole for until like I was like an example. I was like bullied a lot as a kid and I realized that the way I the only I was I wasn't strong. So I would sling insults. Right. And then I would get my ass kicked even worse until the insults got so fucking mean that they worked. Yeah. And so it's like and you can be somebody who's seeking enlightenment and you become a cock until you actually start to you actually start to learn something and you start to not be a cock. <laughs> you know, you become humble and you start to realize that that's like the first fucking step. Right. Is that uh, today? What was it like yesterday's breakthrough is tomorrow's ego trip. Mm, yeah know? yeah well, it's like to, i mean and like to conquer the world you have to conquer yourself yeah. and it's like my, yeah. my so you, you had the realization that okay i need to learn how to use these i don't have the physical strength to fight back against these things these advers- adversaries in my life so i need to weaponize the words to, to, to such an extent that they can't compete with me um my realization was that i wanted i i had the realization that okay i want to have all, all of these success guideposts that my parents laid out for me, like I want, I want to have all of those so that they can stop lording them over me, like I was unsuccessful. Like I want to hit all of these guys, I want to hit all of these posts, and then I want to be able to leave, leave the society behind and move out and do my own thing. And like, yeah, and I get that. To be clear, being bullied and all that—that that wasn't the reason I was seeking enlightenment. I think probably it was the reason I was bullied. <laughs> if anything else, right? It, it was. That what that so that wasn't why I, I don't know why I was seeking enlightenment as like a, even as a child, or I had those words or just thought that I could be better. Bullying is important. Anyway. I mean, we live in such a like yeah. it's they probably modern accelerated society. the bullying, right? It's like look at this kid. What the fuck's wrong with this kid? Was yeah. he like seeking enlightenment or something? Fuck this kid. Right, and that's that's <laughs> what got you on the path. Like, right, we want to like we want to like nerf society to the point that like oh we can't bully, but. It's like, man, some of the largest personal development I had in my life was because of bullying that I, that I, anyway, everybody's Correct. bullied. It's like, there's, yeah, we can't get away. We can't we can move do away from bullies. We are, we're, I think we could do an episode society, on the value of bullying. We are being bullied by the central banks. And like, because the central banks have bullied us so much, Satoshi woke up and built a fucking Bitcoin white paper. It's like, and so yeah, now bull- we get to escape because they bullied us. Bullying is just another hash. It's like another hash function. It, you know, it's part of the work. It's true. It's true. Like, but yeah, it's, if you want to, it sucks to, I mean, it, it's, it's like exercise. It's anti-fragility. It's anti-fragility. I mean, if you can't take, if like, if you're trying to create a fucking utopia without bullying, right? Like you're not, you're certainly not going to invent a money that resists bullying <laughs> you know, or resists We're not going to build a better like world by, yeah, by not breaking some fingernails. Like, so to, you need survivors. Survivors are anti-fragile, you know, uh, organic food, is or is good for you because it is raised in hostile in a fucking hostile environment and has to learn how to survive it and that's how it you know that's What's the I'll I'll end it with the with the uh, there's it's like our job is not to wake up the NPCs our job is to wake up the sleeping lions Yeah and maybe but it's maybe the way the way, the way you wake them up is to be yourself Yes and have them see you Yes, it's like like the the idea of going out. Like we're not going to win the hearts and souls of people by by knocking on doors, but knocking on doors is an important part of it. It's not necessarily an evangelical campaign. It doesn't. It doesn't. um, 
there's nothing wrong with that, but that may not be how this network effect spreads. Yeah, we win by being better. better.